I'm Nil Zacharias, and you're listening to Eat for the Planet. On this show, we try to answer the question, how can we eat in a way that nourishes us without starving the planet? The show features conversations with food industry leaders, health and sustainability experts, as well as entrepreneurs and creative minds who are redefining the future of food. This episode features Adam Lowry, co-founder and co-CEO of Ripple Foods, the first company to use yellow peas to create a dairy substitute. Now, you might be turned off by the idea of pea milk, but the genius behind Ripple is that not only does it not resemble peas in taste, but from a nutrition standpoint, their product is far superior to dairy milk. In this interview, Adam gets into the details of how the idea to create milk from peas came to be, as well as how their milk stacks up against dairy and other plant-based alternatives. Adam also talks about Ripple's sustainability mission and what it's like to start your own business, raise millions in venture capital funding, and what the long-term strategic goals of his company are. They go far beyond just making milk from peas. To learn more, you'll have to listen to the interview. I'm here with uh, Adam Lowry, um, former climate scientist, co-founder of Method Soap, um, now co-founder and co-CEO of Ripple Foods. Adam, thanks for being on the Eat for the Planet podcast. It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Neil. So if you look at the dairy industry, it's a billion-dollar industry. Also, from an environmental standpoint, it's um, probably one of the most destructive industries on the planet today. But the good news is that the uh, consumption of dairy seems to be on a decline, at least uh, out here in the U.S., and uh, plant-based milks have been rising in popularity in the last uh, several years. In fact, I believe one-third of uh, U.S. consumers prefer plant-based milks. And that category has now become um, a $2 billion sector with almond milk leading the way, soy milk behind that. But You've done your research, clearly. We've been working in this space for a few years now. And so soy milk seems to be losing favor amongst consumers. And um, and then you have the rest. Uh, you have coconut, cashew, uh, hemp, oat, rice, you name it. So on the surface, if you look at what Ripple Foods and your entry into the space, it may seem like you're trying to ride the plant-based milk wave. Um, but, but if you look closer, there's a lot more to the story here. Um, and correct me if I've got this wrong, but my understanding of your goal is to, number one, dethrone almond milk from uh, the top category, potentially, and to take on the dairy industry itself um, with your products. Um, so that's that's where we are today, and um, that's what brings you here to have this conversation. Um, so why don't we start at the beginning? You know, how did Ripple Foods come about? How did the company start? Yeah, my co-founder, Neil Renninger, and I uh, are, are friends from many years ago, about 10 years ago. And in fact, our previous businesses, mine being Method Products and his being Amaresa Renewable Fuels and Chemicals Company, we actually worked together on some development uh, in, in those two businesses. So uh, after Method Products uh, changed ownership in 2012, I stuck around for about three more years. We built a sustainable manufacturing facility in Chicago and did some really amazing things. But after 16 years working on that business and being somebody that's really motivated by how you use business to create impact, you have a moment where you start to say, okay, is it better for me to continue with this thing that's really scaled and doing amazingly well or... Should I start something new that can have really big impact? And I was starting to think about the food space for all of the reasons that we're interested in the food space. 
there it's the impacts and uh, the personal nature and uh, food and how connected it is to health and sustainability. And uh, Neil and I were chatting one day, and he at the time was working for a venture firm that was investing in a lot of food companies. And we started talking about uh, a few things, um, some opportunities that we saw in the space, and probably most importantly, a technology uh, that Neil uh, had been working on that was really relevant to being able to really change how delicious plant-based foods are, which is one of the things that we think is really required uh, to scale plant-based foods in a really, really mainstream way. So he, so you both were looking at the food sector as outsiders almost, yeah. um, and looking at where there was probably an opportunity for you to step in, use technology to um, to to break into this market and, and improve um, current the dairy industry to begin with, mm-hmm. I suppose. Yeah, specifically the product experience. Yeah. So why did you pick the dairy industry specifically and why did you choose peas as a solution? Yeah. Yeah. A couple um, yeah, a couple of questions there. So first of all, we we started in dairy because uh, depending on who you ask, our food system is about 20 uh, percent of our overall carbon emissions as a you know, as a humanity. And dairy is about 25 percent of that. Uh, most people don't know that dairy is actually larger than beef, um, larger than poultry in terms of its uh, impacts. And so that was a good place to start. Um, It was also a place where we recognized that while plant-based alternatives existed, uh, the dairy alternatives on the market were actually really awful alternatives to dairy. Um, When you made that switch from dairy to non-dairy, it was a sacrifice. You were sacrificing taste, mouthfeel. Everybody knows that a non-dairy milk is thin and watery and chalky. And you were sacrificing nutrition, um, specifically protein. You know, a lot of consumers actually don't know that almond milk only contains one-eighth of the protein of milk. And cashew and coconut milk have no protein in them at all. And so you have this situation where mainstream consumers are starting to try plant-based. Non-dairy beverages is one of the first places they start that regimen. And yet those, the products that they were forced to try were really inferior products. And so uh, the reason we use peas, to go to your second question, is that that's a really good way to create a dairy alternative that's really rich, creamy, and has all of the protein of dairy milk. And how did, was this Neil who worked on a technology that uh, figured out a way to um, turn yellow peas into milk without... Um, having that pea <laughs> taste to it. Yeah. Um, because that to me is the most surprising part about um, your products is before you taste it, you're not quite sure what you're going to get. <laughs> yeah, you taste it, it's like... Well, it doesn't It doesn't taste like peas and that's a good thing. Right. So was, was this something that was developed and is it a patented technology or one that you've applied for a patent for? Is it How is it different from what anyone mm-hmm. else is doing? Well, you're hitting on the really important thing here, which would, what makes Ripple Foods unique is not peas. And what makes us unique is that we make the purest plant protein in the world. And yeah, it was Neil that developed that uh, process in the beginning. And now we've got, um, fortunately, uh, a team working on this, um, further developing it. It is a uh, patent uh, pending process where we've applied for the patents. Um, The core insight came from the idea that all protein, uh, all proteins are tasteless. 
So proteins are really big molecules. They're too big for your taste receptors. And so pure protein of any kind, animal or plant, has no flavor at all, which is something that some people find surprising. You think of a burger or you think of something soy with sort of like an umami flavor, but pure protein has no flavor at all. So there's no reason that we can't create really delicious plant-based foods uh, that are really high in protein, really nutritious. The only reason that things like soy milk taste like soybeans is not because of the protein that's in that product. It's, it's all the other stuff that kind of comes along for the ride. And so, you know, what, what Ripple does is we make uh, what we call Riptine. Our protein is called Riptine, and it is um, the purest plant protein in the world. It's, it's got the least amount of other stuff that comes along from the plant. And when you taste the protein itself, it has absolutely no flavor. And so we can make milks, we can make uh, all sorts of uh, different food products from it um, that taste the way they should. And so you can potentially use that technology to extract proteins from other plant sources exactly, um, without getting all that extra stuff. Yeah. And this is actually a direction that we're really wanting to go. We're already working on it. So Um, We are plant agnostic. We can extract pure protein from any plant source that has, you know, roughly 15% or more uh, protein by by weight. Uh, Peas are a lot more sustainable than almonds, cashews, coconuts, that sort of thing. And we can talk about how much more they are. Uh, But another step or two on the more sustainable would be to use uh, secondary feedstocks rather than primary feedstocks. So if you can imagine... Uh, sunflower meal or spent brewer's grains or flax meal. These are all things that are waste byproducts and in many cases, ironically, are fed to dairy cows. And they contain 25, 30, 35% protein and are far less expensive than any primary uh, plant source of protein like peas or soy. And we we can make riptine from those sources as well. And What I find so exciting about this, and this is why Neil and I are working together on this business, is right now we make the purest plant protein in the world. When we start making at production scale proteins, riptine from uh, alternative feedstocks, we'll also make the cheapest plant protein in the world. Wow. So peas was really just a starting point um, to apply this technology. And it sounds to me like the choice was made because of sustainability. Yeah, two two things really why we chose soy. It's the most available Pea, plant. Uh, excuse me. Yes, thank you for correcting me. Yeah, um, one of the reasons was that it's not soy, uh, and soy uh, has uh, negative consumer uh, perceptions in the U.S., particularly around things like phytoestrogen content. And the second is that it's the next most available source of plant protein. Uh, but as I said, uh, peas are a starting point for Ripple, not. Uh, not the end point. Great. And uh, where do you source your peas from now? I've been reading about how um, a company in um, Canada has been looking to become the biggest supplier of, uh, of pea protein in the world. Um, is that something you're looking at right now? Where, where's your pea source from at the moment? Yeah, well, right now we source our peas from a couple of different suppliers that get them in the upper Midwest, the U.S. and southern Canada. Um, we do work with the supplier I think you're referring to. Um, and, and so we have the ability to basically use peas from really any source. Um, and that provides, of course, supply chain assurance and flexibility for us. Uh, amongst the top, uh, food tech companies out there, Ripple comes, I think in the 
top 20 in terms of num- uh, amount of venture capital raised in p- pure dollars. Um, you had a Series A round of uh, 13.6 million and then a Series B, I believe, last year of 30 million. Uh, I guess the question I have there is that how were those conversations with investors um, trying to explain what your product was, YPs? P-Milk. Yeah, people getting over the, I'm sure, probably lack of understanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. Perhaps, you know, there's a lot more awareness now about the need to reform our food system. Um, What were those conversations like? And um, were were investors receptive, confused, um, snickering? What was happening? Well, the first thing I would say is that the amount of money you raise is not at all an indicator of success. And so we we have raised a, a reasonable amount of money. That's more a reflection of what we're trying to do and reinventing household staples and the capital in intensivity of doing that. Um, and you know, we're, we are a food tech business, but we want to build a great business. Um, Neil and I have, have done that before in previous businesses, and that's our focus. From an investment uh, uh, investor standpoint, yeah, there are a lot of investors that are really looking at the food system as one of the next big, big opportunities uh, to make a return and produce uh, more uh, positive social and environmental outcomes at the same time. And there there are investors that are coming at that from the technology angle. There are certainly investors that are coming at that from a consumer angle. For Neil and I, we really wanted to kind of bring both of those uh, schools of thought into our business and really collide those because we we think we're going to be most successful if we get people with a with a tech orientation and people with a consumer orientation both at an investor level at a board level even uh, and of course at a at a team level as well um, to try to maximize the benefits that we can create socially environmentally and of course financially uh, by bringing together aspects of the best aspects of tech and the best aspects of consumer as well. So in terms of how those conversations went, surprisingly well. I think it helps that Neil and I have done it before. That helps a lot uh, in terms of building credibility with investors. And we were really clear up front that we wanted to curate a, a team that really was, was uh, aligned with us on how we wanted to build the business going forward. So you know, perhaps that allowed us to skip a few steps of uh, that maybe other startups go through. Certainly my first startup went through in terms of what exactly are we and where are we going? We were pretty crisp on that from day one. Right. And if you even look at it as a pure, uh, you know, tech problem, as in, you know, the dairy industry is this un- unsustainable, inefficient system today or mm-hmm. technology, if you want to put it that way. And one explanation for the rise of uh, plant-based milks is uh, they taste better and people just prefer that, not because they actually have to or because they're lactose intolerant. I'm sure there's some people who choose plant-based milks because of health reasons purely or allergies. But most other consumers just have tried it as a product and dairy seems to be losing favor um, because of hormones and antibiotics and all that extra stuff that is found in milk that hopefully you won't find in uh, some of the plant-based alternatives. And I think you've pointed this out before too, plants and nuts, especially in the past, have had this uh, halo of um, 
good uh, health uh, around them. And so people somehow assume the product is better. So even if you're talking to a, an investor, if you purely look at it as a tech problem, here you have an industry that is um, on the decline, it looks like. Um, secondly, if you look at the food space, um, most of the giant food companies are spending barely any time in R&D. And, yeah, not much money either. And not, and not much money either compared to, say, you know, Apple or Facebook or Google. And um, you, you know, there's a clear window here where you can, so going back to kind of my first point, you can ride the wave of consumer interest in alternative milks or uh, non-dairy beverages but provide something that kind of meets the deficiencies in all the existing products slash technologies that exist out there. Mm-hmm. So um, perhaps that was part of your, your sell. But the big point to remember here, because I'm sure a lot of our listeners are entrepreneurs and aspiring entrepreneurs, is you can, you, you can discount the importance of the fact that you and both Neil had established companies before, had been successful entrepreneurs, had dealt with investors and and had a proven proven track record to do this so it wasn't like adam woke up one day and said um i'm going to i'm going to make milk from peace and please give me a million dollars to do that (laughs) yeah i mean from a from a fundraising standpoint i think that's exactly right um on your on your comments about you know how we're trying to approach the market as well i think that um Mintel did a study, um, I think it was in 2015, about the reasons that people go from dairy to non-dairy. And of course, it used to be that you did that because you couldn't drink milk. But now there are four reasons ahead of that um, that all have to do with some of the things you described, either suspicion about dairy and hormones or a desire to align their diet with a more sustainable path or just general nutrition general better for you needs. Uh, And that's really profound, right? Is when the category shifts from people going dairy-free because they have to, to people going dairy-free because they want to, uh, what you need to deliver from a product standpoint changes substantially. Because if people want to go dairy-free and they try it and they get thin watery chalky and no protein and all what have you, uh, they can just switch back. And so... While I, while I sort of agree that there's, that creates a bit of a wave of new consumers who are interested in the category, there's also a risk there, which is, aside from us, you know, we would say there's not really a lot of products out there that deliver on the core nutritional and uh, aesthetic or organoleptic uh, needs of the category, which is creamy, rich, delicious, high in protein. And so... You know, we, we, to some degree, feel like we really need to, to get Ripple out there and get people to, un, you know, to try it and just understand that there's something out there that actually can help mainstream consumers make a, 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 a choice that's healthier for them and, and better for the environment that actually they love. And that's the big difference. Yeah, and you know, obviously, we, on um, in a, in a podcast, we can't we can talk about the taste as much as we want, to, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but people need to try that to to really understand. But maybe you can talk about nutrition. I know you mentioned protein, but what are, what about some of the other factors like uh, sugar and um, yeah. fat and other things? How yeah. does it stack up compared to dairy, as well as 
say almond milk, which is probably the most popular plant-based milk yeah, right now. Yeah, so Ripple's got eight times the protein of almond milk, and it has the same protein as dairy milk. From a sugar standpoint, it's got half the sugar of dairy milk and about 20%, 15 20% less than a typical almond milk would have. It's got 50% more calcium than dairy milk. And Wait, our, I think you have to repeat that again. 50% more calcium than, than dairy milk. Yeah, 50% <laughs> more calcium than dairy milk. Um, and, and not to get too deep, but combining calcium with protein is really important for your body to, to take up the calcium um, rather than just kind of having a calcium supplement. And uh, probably the last thing is, uh, well, it's, 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 it's fortified like uh, milk is with vitamin D. And uh, it's got uh, omega-3 fatty acids. So it's got an, um, DHA omega-3s, which are um, help support brain function as well. So the fats in the product are healthy fats, healthy plant-based fats. And, well. and what are the sources for the, for the fats in the product? Uh, two different sunflower oils and an algal oil. Okay. So, I mean, have you, you know, one of the concerns people tend to have with plant-based milks is they are less of real foods compared to, and partly because of the of almond milk and some of the controversy over certain products that barely contain even any almonds in them. So in terms of fillers and and other additives in the product, can you talk to how um, you've addressed that problem and to what extent is this a processed food, but one that is minimally processed? And, and how would you address those concerns? Yeah, I mean, our ingredient list is really clean. Um, our, our products are made very similarly to the way that an almond milk or a soy milk is made. Uh, almost identical, actually. It's made in a lot of our contract manufacturers also make those other types of products. Uh, but we make them, of course, with, with, um, with our proprietary ingredients. Um, so aside from what I just mentioned, which is uh, uh, sunflower oil, algal oil, organic cane sugar, and peas, um, really the only other thing in there um, is a natural gum that um, we use gelling gum that uh, holds the product together so that it doesn't separate on shelf. Got it. And you launched Nationwide, which is unlike most, um, you know, natural food companies they start off in certain regions i believe in within nine months you were in three thousand stores uh, correct me if i'm wrong on those numbers um where does that stand today where can where can people get ripple milk and i guess it's two parts is one is where can they get it and from your from the years i think it's been two years now since you started off how are people using your products yeah great so we are in about six thousand doors uh, nationwide right now. So we're nationwide at Target, uh, at Sprouts, at uh, Whole Foods nationwide. Uh, region, the grocery accounts in the country are more regional, but uh, Safeway accounts in the, in the West, in the Rocky Mountain, ShopRite in the New York area, uh, Meyer stores in the Midwest, uh, Hy-Vee stores, um, and many other regional accounts uh, around the country. And and building quickly, um, we're hoping to be in, and will be in a lot more um, uh, places in in the second half of 2017. In terms of how people are using our products, they're using them in the very similar way that they use other dairy and non and non dairy products. So, uh, the primary usage occasions are just drinking it or using it in cereal or other breakfast applications like smoothies. 
Um, the one difference that we're seeing is that actually more culinary focused uh, consumers are using our products as a dairy alternative in cooking. And that's something that we're really delighted to see. It's showing you that it's actually a real alternative to dairy as opposed to for those listeners that have played around with almond milks and cooking recipes and things like that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's not, it's not something that works just the same way that dairy milk does. So to, to see more people using it in culinary applications, we think it's a positive sign that, uh, the product we've, we've made is, is something that, that they like. That's encouraging. So, you know, let's maybe shift to, since we're talking about how, how people are using the products, I'm sure you've thought about, I wouldn't say thought about, you probably have a product roadmap Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of where you go next. And, you know, to the extent that you can talk about it, I'd love to understand what your thinking is in terms of what's next for Ripple. I know it's very early, but you have a few choices, right? You can continue to focus on pea milk and plant-based milks as a category. You can come up with new flavors and you can come up with um, fortified um, probiotic uh, Ripple milk. Um, you can do that and you can also start to expand into other categories like yogurts and ice creams and cheeses to, to capture the dairy market. Or you can look, you can do all of this at once though, but, or you can look at the breakfast category overall and say, Hey, we've got this great technology. Why limit it to, to milks? Milk is the first step for us, but we've also going to use that to launch this completely other product line mm-hmm. because you're called Ripple Foods. You're not Ripple. You're not called Ripple Milk. Right. Um, whereas you're thinking on that, where the, you don't have to tell me exactly where you're headed, but what, what are some of the ideas yeah. you have? Yeah. Uh, well, I think you hit the nail on the head with we're Ripple Foods. We're not Ripple Milk. And it is our vision to build uh, the Ripple brand as a master brand across the kitchen um, and across uh, your non-dairy regimen. So, um, the first product that we're going to be launching is actually launching this month, um, which we're really excited about. It's a non-dairy half and half. And I use that word carefully. It is really a half and half as opposed to a, um, a coffee creamer. Um, there's been the coffee creamer segment and the non-dairy coffee creamer segment has really exploded, but, uh, it's really kind of sugary flavored dairy or non-dairy milk. Um, what we really wanted to bring is something that had real nutritional benefits and was something that you could, you could actually cook with. And that's what we've created. So more than half of half and half usage occasions are in cooking. And so we wanted to create a non-dairy alternative, something that someone that wanted to be plant-based could really use in, um, savory soups, um, in pasta dishes, um, as well as coffee applications. And so uh, that product we're, uh, we're launching uh, just imminently here. And um, we're, we're also launching a, a variety, an, another variety of milk, which will be our unsweetened vanilla product. Uh, but what I would say is that our strategy is not so much to do lots and lots of different flavors. Um, it's really to provide uh, the staples for your non-dairy regimen. And so we're much more likely to go the direction of filling out that re- that non-dairy regimen across things like yogurt and cheese in the future and things like that as opposed to, you know, going in a, you know, in a in a direction where we're making breakfast cereal. But one of the things that we're really excited about 
with the technology that we have is, is, is it's really limitless in terms of where you can take it. Now, I think there's a lot of other considerations around brand and resources and staffing and geography that one would need to figure out, but um, really uh, high-quality, pure plant protein that's really inexpensive has a lot of applications from nutritional space to pastas to developing world to lots of different things. So I think for for Ripple Foods, our challenge is going to be to continue to stay really focused on providing foods that people love uh, and doing that primarily here in the U.S. market. And as those opportunities come up, as, I, as I'm sure they will, if we continue to execute well, then um, you know, we'll have to address those one at a time. Yeah. And, you know, maybe this is not directly tied to your product strategy in the short or long term. Um, but I'd love to get your thoughts on the idea that, you know, I find dairy finds its way into a lot of packaged consumer good uh, consumer packaged pr- products mm-hmm. um, that it doesn't need to really be in there. And that can be easily substituted with um, probably a cheaper, more nutritious um source that is not animal based right um so that's maybe perhaps a company whether it's you or someone else developing a powdered version of of your product something that can be an ingredient that um kellogg's or uh, png i mean whoever out there is developing or general mills rather mm-hmm. um can use in their products or mixes or things that are you can find in shelves in any grocery store is that something you're considering or do you have any thoughts on that yeah, I mean, I, I'll start at a really high level um, because I think the question that you're getting at here is really important. And it, we, we've sort of been talking about the idea of the efficiency of getting a glass of milk. And, and a cow is a really inefficient way to turn plants into milk. And essentially what we're doing is we're turning plants straight into milk without the cow. Um, and that takes a lot, a lot less water, carbon, resources, and, you know, plants themselves. So as we move forward into a more and more resource-constrained world, um, yeah, we're thinking about that. And interestingly, a lot of big, big dairy companies are thinking about that as well. So uh, we know of a few large dairy exporters. When you export dairy, most of the time you're exporting things like powders and ingredients that are looking at their business and saying, hey, if we want to go to uh, feed 2 billion people, then we're going to need to find ways of doing this in a much more resource efficient way. And so, you know, some of those are reaching out to us and saying, hey, you guys have a really interesting technology here where we could substitute dairy uh, at an ingredient level on a really massive scale that would be more sustainable and lower cost. Mm -hmm. So there's probably licensing opportunities as well, given that you have... How the business model works, it's way too early to figure that out. Um, But it's exciting the fact that you're even in those conversations. Yeah, I mean, I I think that the the macro trends are such that those opportunities are going to be there. And, uh, you know, I'm excited to... To, to to dive into them when we have the opportunity to do that. Right. So let's sort of bring it back then to um, where you are now uh, with, with your products. Um, you obviously have widespread distribution, but I'm sure looking for new ways to get your products to consumers so they can taste it. Mm-hmm. What are you focused on over there? 
Uh, besides getting into all the big name grocery stores and retail stores, are you um, to what extent are you considering e-commerce or other ways to or, or other partnerships perhaps to get your products in front of consumers, whether at coffee shops or elsewhere? Yeah, uh, good question. And first of all, from a from an e-commerce standpoint, uh, yes, that's that's a strategy where. Um, working on right now, we'll probably have Ripple available for purchase online in within within three months, I would say, for sure. Um, how exactly that's going to happen is still being determined. Um, but I think it's important to, the, to note that, particularly with low-ticket items that are expensive to ship, um, there you have to do business online in a way that's compatible with being able to build a you know, not just a following, but a, a business model that actually works. And so that's that's kind of what we're focused on and excited that we will be uh, available online for the first time, you know, before the end of this year. So I'm excited about that. And you're doing that directly through your own um, platform or is that a partnership? Well, it, it, it remains to be seen yet. So um, we're still kind of evaluating what our options will be there, but... Um, and the product is ships and travels. It's, it's a shelf stable product. Yeah, it's a shelf stable product. The products that um, you buy from from uh, Ripple products that you buy at retail right now are refrigerated products. So these would be shelf stable products that you can put in the pantry, and then you know once you open them, you put them in the fridge. Great. That's um, that's exciting. I mean, I think what's missing from um, and we talk about this a lot on this podcast is. We, we keep talking about how, one, we have a problem with our food system. It's unsustainable. Second, we have a problem with our, a health crisis we're dealing with in this yeah. country and globally. But America is sort of number one there, too, which is unfortunate. And one of the issues with that is because people just don't have access to healthy food and don't live in areas that you have a Whole Foods or maybe even Target, and how do you get that to consumers in a meaningful way? Perhaps Amazon's acquisition of Whole Foods solves all that, and drones are going to deliver everything everywhere. But uh, given that may not happen in the in the short term, I think you know, I think companies starting to think about e-commerce and interesting, impactful and and convenient ways to get their products to consumers who otherwise may not be inclined to try it mm-hmm. is is a good starting point. So it's exciting that you're thinking about that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've 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 lived that on a very direct way when um, in my method days we built a factory in the in- inner city of Chicago in the middle of a food desert where our employees didn't have access to fresh vegetables really anywhere around. I've seen that very very firsthand, and I think the other really important piece of that is is cost and and being able to make milk for less plant-based milk in this case, for less than the cost of milk, which is something that um, we've got in our sites um, in the relatively near future, is something that starts to open up opportunities to really bring uh, many more people into you know, what we think is a, is a healthier lifestyle. Because you're absolutely right that you know, Americans are getting overfed and they're getting undernourished. Um, a third of our, us are overweight or obese, and yet 60% of us don't get enough calcium. 70% of us are vitamin D deficient. So it, it, it shows you that, yeah, we gotta, we got to work on this problem. Yeah, and in a country that is obsessed with protein and um, sort of obsessed with, um, with calcium from milk, or at least assumes that that's the only way you can really 
at least for kids, get get them to get their right nutrients. To change that consumer perception, well, it requires much more than marketing because you're up against a, uh, an industry that uh, is heavily subsidized, that has all kinds of uh, checkoff programs and other government-funded um, or channeled um, efforts, lobbying efforts that are making it very easy for people to buy those products at a price that is that works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and here you are, um, you may have millions in investment and have some of the best uh, VCs out there backing you, but you're still small in that regard. Um, and that's the part some people may not understand because it's all about context, right? You can look at Ripple and say, well, these are established entrepreneurs with um, Google Ventures and others backing them. They're going to they're gonna get out there and succeed. But, um, you know, you're still tiny compared to sure. the big... Uh, and what we're industrial doing, machine out there. Yeah, and what we're doing is really risky. You know, I think uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to reinvent in a 21st century way something that's, you know, mom and apple pie. I mean, milk is a nutritious, creamy, delicious beverage for most people in the country. Yeah. Um, and we want to reinvent that in a way that's more conscious of uh, people's health and sustainability. And uh, that's a really big challenge. So we're... Uh, Neil and I like taking on big challenges, but, uh, you know, the success is certainly not assured. Yeah. And what has surprised you since you've, you know, both of you didn't come from the food space um, and have taken on this big challenge. You both are uh, experienced entrepreneurs for sure. You both have a passion for social impact and sustainability. And you have a background in that as well uh, with your climate science background. Uh, What has surprised you about what you've learned in the food space uh, since you started off? What's been the most surprising aspect of it? I'd say the most surprising thing to me is I, I don't understand why people make food that isn't good. There's there's a lot of food out there that's marketed as a greener alternative or you know, healthy and that that's that's fine. But food's got to be great. It's 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 about culture it's about enjoyment and if it's not great i don't think we should eat it and i think that there we're still maybe in the early stages of this revolution towards plant-based eating where we're just starting to realize that an alternative to meat or an alternative to dairy or something that's you know typically animal based and we want it to be plant-based doesn't need to be awful (laughs) and it seems like i just can't wrap my head around why you know you'd put all the time and effort behind something that just wasn't good yeah i mean i think we just went down a path that we couldn't really predict where this would end up and the focus became too much about um about taste rather than um, nutrition and um sort of getting consumers to buy more and appealing you know food science became about combining sugar fat and salt and and nothing else and here we are today where you know i think there is a lot more awareness about clean eating and um, eating real foods and eating whole foods and eating plant-based foods. And even when it comes, and you still need convenience, right? I was um, a great example, and I'm sure you you probably know a lot more about this than I do. But if you look at the breakfast category in itself, right? And that's where Ripple Foods is really in at the moment. That's changed so drastically in the last few years because of... Um, why, some of it's because of consumer interest around healthy foods, but others just really 
convenience and people don't eat breakfast at home they want to they on want the something on the go and they want something that is um um it's it's easy for them to take um, when they're commuting or whether they're at work um, rather than sit down with a bowl of cereal um on top of that you have to think about you know to what extent has technology and our changing culture played a role here we're too distracted we don't really have time to sit down and really eat which is why people want convenience and they want easy fast food and um the thing is and i think here's what where i'm sure you would agree is that the fast food can be healthy if you design it to be healthy from the ground up mm-hmm. and breakfast can be nutritious if you and doesn't have to be a pop tart Yeah, I think we have a tendency to think about trends in a very sort of mono, monolithic kind of way. And the reality is that fast food and slow food are happening at the same time. And in fact, any individual person, most of the time, is going to subscribe to slow food in one occasion and to fast food in another occasion. And the key is how do we make that as delicious and nutritious as we can, whether it's a slow food occasion or whether it's a fast food occasion. So now that you you are embedded into the food industry and this is your focus for the foreseeable future, where do you think are you know besides what you're doing uh, is definitely exciting and, and innovative and using technology to do something better with food and create something that's delicious and nutritious and hopefully can have less of an impact environmental impact in the long run. Where else do you think this exciting developments happening in the space that you find really interesting not directly tied into perhaps what you're doing? Oh sure, sure. Well, uh I'm as you are very excited about some of the some of the meat substitutes that are coming to market, you know, the the Beyond Burger that just launched in the refrigerated section of the uh, Whole Foods I think was uh it, you know, is a delicious alternative to the sort of grainy crunchy thing that we used to all eat as, you know, veggie burgers. And so I think that's another great example of of making plant-based foods delicious and it's great to see companies like that and many other companies that you know I'm not mentioning doing similar things across different different areas. Um a, a, another area of mine is a personal area of interest for me is urban agriculture. Um the world is urbanizing, uh, half of us live in cities, that number is going to be 80% uh in our lifetimes and we're going to need to find ways of 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 growing delicious healthy food a lot closer to where most of the people live and so um i i actually happen to be serve on the board of uh an urban agriculture company called Aero Farms so, right here in uh, yeah. new jersey mm-hmm. right here building um i think it's the largest vertical farm in the world in in uh in newark new jersey and what's interesting about that is sure the technology is really interesting but what's amazing about uh you know for example Aero Farms products is that uh the products are actually way more flavorful than you would get from an open field leafy green most of which grow in the central california and here we are in new york city yeah. travels a long way right uh more nutrient dense fresher yeah. and it's that intersection of good with i guess good two different definitions of right. good that's what i get really jazzed about within the food space because i think that's what's going to bring everyday people that don't have the inclination or the time or whatever money maybe um to be really involved in their food choices um into the mix and there's a lot more of those people out there than there are people that are really really into the into food uh and i think we've got to create stuff that they love 
And if, and if they do, then, then you're creating meaningful impact at scale. And that's, that's what I like to do. Great. And, you know, what advice would you give um, to aspiring entrepreneurs? I mean, you're an experienced entrepreneur. You've built a successful soap company and sold that now into the food space and are doing exciting new things with Ripple Foods. If someone's looking to get into the space, what would you tell them to look at? And where, do, where, where should they begin? And where are the, the hottest opportunities? Yeah, it, I, I like to tell people to really jump in and just do it. Uh, it the great thing about living where we live in the United States is you can start a business, you can fall flat on your face and it's not a black mark. And in fact, you've gained valuable experience that even if, you know, you got to go get a job at a big company somewhere that you're, you're not an entrepreneur in that sense anymore. Um, you've, you've learned and you're more capable as a result of having done that. Um, and I just think that a lot of, I see a lot of people that sit on the sidelines and they worry about, well, what if it doesn't work out? Mm. You know, just go for it. Yeah, that's great advice. I mean, pick something that you love, um, that you're interested in and that's important too, because you'll work harder than you ever, <laughs> ever did before. So. And be prepared, you know, think of the worst case scenario really. And you, even if what that is, is it'll probably fail and you'll have to get a job. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not so terrible, but what, if it does succeed or if it does make some sort of an impact, uh, imagine how amazing that could and be. It, and it, you know, and it'll invariably teach you something about what you love to do and, you know, where you end up next win or lose will be better. I believe as a result. Yeah, definitely. But definitely don't go into the business of farming animals. They think that's one. <laughs> that's like getting into the horse and buggy each, industry. <laughs> to, each is, to each his own. <laughs> right. Um, so if you can look ahead, if the work you're doing right now through Ripple Foods um, has the sort of impact that you're hoping that it will have, if the products in the non-dairy beverage category succeed and grow, and perhaps you can use this technology, whether licensing it, distributing it um, through e-commerce or um, applying it to other food categories, it all succeeds where would you ideally like to see this work end up, say, in the year 2050? I'm looking far ahead. Um, perhaps you'd be doing something else at that point. But um, where would you like, what, what is your definition of success and what role would you like yourself and Ripple Foods to play in hopefully this redefinition of the food industry that's happening right now? Well, Ripple Foods is called Ripple Foods for a reason. And it really is about the effect, the ripple effect that we want to have on the food system. We are excited about what we're doing, and there's an amazing amount of opportunity in what we're doing. But certainly, we're going to need innovation across all sectors of our food system, uh, well beyond what we'll ever be able to touch in order to create the more sustainable, uh, nutritious future that we hope to see. So... What I really hope is that we can build a really strong connection, uh, powerful um, uh, benefits that we bring to uh, consumers all across the world someday through Ripple Foods. But even bigger than that, hopefully we can serve as an example for how to create, how to make plant-based foods really delicious. And if we can do that, and then and inspire others to do that in lots of other places we'll never touch, then we will have created a little bit of ripple effect and 
you know, 2050, I'll be 76 years old. So I can sit back and say, job well done, I guess. That's great. I'd like to end with that. Thank you, Adam. I appreciate you taking the time today and telling us all about Ripple Foods and um, your story in building this company to where it is right now, as well as your plans and on taking it into and creating this ripple effect uh, in the years ahead, where hopefully in 2050, you and I can be um, in our 70s high-fiving each other. <laughs> that we, we did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Neil. Keep up the good work, and thanks for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to Eat for the Planet with Neil Zacharias. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to show your support, please subscribe to the show and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. To learn more about how Eat for the Planet can help your brand or organization develop the right strategy, implement scalable operations, and grow responsibly, visit EFTP.co. That's EFTP.co. Let's rise up to the challenge of transforming our food system. Thank you for listening.